Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 10, as was mentioned, our last time in this passage together. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Hear God's Word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's Word. You can be seated. Amen. Well, we've come to the end of our series on this passage, and throughout, we've seen how on the basis of His atoning and interceding work on our behalf, Jesus is better. And therefore, why the Christian life in Him is better together. And we've also come to the end of our three-part mini-series, if you will, on verse 25, encouraging one another. And for the past two weeks, we've been applying that command specifically to us in our vision as a church, recently clarified and summarized in three key terms and made especially prominent on our new website. Discover, grow, impact. Now, our overarching vision as a church is for the God-centered gospel of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed in us as a church, through us to the world, by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And what this means at a practical level is that we, College Church, by God's grace, will be a place to discover Jesus We talked about that a couple weeks ago, to grow in your faith, our focus last week, and to impact the world. That'll be our focus this morning. And so as we seek to apply this text to our lives one last time to impact, let's ask for God's help. And so let's pray. Jesus, your name and your renown all all across the earth is the desire of our souls. I ask that this morning you would awaken new desires in us for impact. That you would also reveal specific opportunities for us in our individual lives that we might pursue. Help us now as we look at your word and as a result be encouraged and be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So look back at chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 with me. This will be the base text for us. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as we begin, 
it's important to remember that verses 24 and 25 are really one sentence. And that verse 25, encouraging one another, is actually modifying the main idea in verse 24. How to stir up one another, to provoke one another. Not neglecting, kind of the negative, but encouraging in verse 25 together further define how we are to provoke and stir up one another. And therefore, the aim of provoking one another in verse 24 is the same aim as encouraging one another in verse 25, namely, to love and good works. And the author of Hebrews is calling us, especially as the day draws near. We've been singing about it, that day of Christ when he comes for the salvation and vindication of his people and for judgment. That day's coming, and he's calling us in view of that to encourage one another to love and good works, to biblically exhort one another together, to come alongside one another and call each other forwards to love and good works. In short, to encourage one another to impact, to impact. Impact the world through love and good works. Seems straightforward enough. But on further reflection, it's clear we need to say a bit more. It seems to me that in our day, and really any period of history for that matter, we cannot be too precise with our definitions. The possibility for misunderstanding is ever-present, especially with a word like impact. It is ubiquitous, found everywhere, from individual celebrity hashtags on Twitter to corporate business ads on television to nonprofit mission statements on websites. But though the desire for and the use of impact is found everywhere, it is not everywhere agreed upon. This is why a few years ago, the Center for High Impact Philanthropy, part of the School of Social Policy and Practice at the University of Pennsylvania, put out an article with this title. What are we talking about when we talk about impact? And it reminds me of the classic discussion of the word glory between Humpty Dumpty and Alice in Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass. There's glory for you, Humpty Dumpty said. I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, until I tell you. I meant, there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. Ah, when I use a word Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master, that's all. Indeed, language is a funny thing. It's a profound thing. In leaving the philosophical debate to the side, I simply want to point out something that we all already know. Different people can use the same word and mean, that is, intend, very different things. And when it comes to the word impact, this is taken for granted. Indeed, 
encouraged. As one, as one well-respected business leader put it on his blog, a blog regularly featured in Forbes and the New York Times, he said, we get to choose what having an impact means to us. Well, being a church rooted in the Bible and committed to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, making disciples, loving God and neighbor, we don't believe that we get that choice. We believe God has defined impact, what constitutes impact, for us. And so you should be asking us, okay, college church, impact the world. What do you mean by impact the world? And my task is to clarify it for you and then call us all to it. So in a nutshell, what we mean by impact the world is gospel impact. Gospel impact. But that, of course, needs to also be fleshed out a little bit more. So here is my longer definition, which I've drawn mainly from Hebrews itself. It is long, so bear with me. In view of God's abundant mercy toward us in Christ and our promised future inheritance, by faith in the power of God, for the love and glory of His name, We aim in all things, often at great personal cost, to joyfully strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good. Now that's a mouthful to say, let alone hear for the first time. So I'll say it again. In view of God's abundant mercy toward us in Christ and our promised future inheritance, in view of that, by faith in the power of God, For the love and glory of his name, we aim in all things, often at great personal cost, to joyfully strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good, gospel impact. Now the basic part of that definition is, we aim in all things to joyfully strive for the good of all people. And that's good as far as it goes. But there's nothing distinctly Christian about that definition. Hence, all the qualifiers I've added that make it a much longer definition. All of those qualifiers turn impact, general impact, into distinctly Christian, or what I'm calling gospel impact. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want to show you from Hebrews how I came up with this definition. And so we'll we'll take each phrase one at a time until we've made our way through the whole thing, and then we'll look practically at various ways we can pursue it together. So first, in view of God's abundant mercy toward us in Christ and our promised future inheritance. Well, as we've already seen, verses 19 to 21 in our passage ground the three exhortations that follow in verses 22 to 25, which means the work of Christ on our behalf is the foundation. It's where we must begin. Now, I get my summary phrase in view of God's abundant mercy toward us in Christ, specifically from joining together two texts in Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 17, and chapter 9, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. A merciful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That is to appease the wrath of God and to remove it from over his people. And then in 9.14, the author says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So connecting those two texts together, we see the implication for impact. One purpose of God's abundant, wrath-removing, sin-forgiving mercy toward us in Christ is that we might serve him with good works, not dead works. But looking back to the work of Christ is not all the author wants us to have in view as we aim for impact. He also wants us to look forward to our promised future inheritance. So where does this come from? Well, if we were to continue reading in chapter 10, we would come to verses 34 to 36. So look there with me. Chapter 10, verses 34 to 36. He says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. A better possession, an abiding one, a great reward, what is promised. Notice the word since in verse 34. It could also be translated because. Because they knew they had a better possession and a glorious future reward, they acted. They had compassion on those in prison. They had an impact. Their present impact was motivated by the prospect of their future reward. What the author elsewhere refers to as the heavenly city. His way of referring to all the glories of final salvation for all eternity. And so that's the first qualifier to our definition of impact. It must be in view of God's abundant mercy to us in Christ and our promised future inheritance. The second qualifier, by faith in the power of God, comes from the end of chapter 10 and goes nearly into all of chapter 11. Right after the passage we just read about the promise of our future reward, the author continues in verse 37. So look there with me. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. The day is drawing near. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Did you see it in there? Live by faith. And surely, the Christian life now being lived as we wait for the coming of Christ, surely that live by faith includes our pursuit of impact in the world. The rest of chapter 11, in fact, highlights the people of old who did precisely this. 
connecting it to the power of God, look at the example of Sarah in chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, and even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Conceiving a child is ultimately by the power of God. Or look at just a little bit further down in the same passage, verses 32 to 35. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. (gasps) Stunning. All of that impact. Rhetorical question. Did any of that happen in their own power or strength? You want to have an impact? Pursue it by faith in the power of God. That's the second qualifier. The third qualifier, for the love and glory of his name, is the ultimate reason why we pursue impact. Now, there are, there are many reasons, good reasons, but this is the ultimate reason. Out of love for his name, to magnify his name. After giving his readers one of the strongest warnings in the book, chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, the author continues in verses 9 and 10 like this. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Do you see that? Love for God's name produced their service to the saints. And this makes sense. For the person who had the greatest impact ever in the history of the world, no one else coming close, prayed like this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The glory of God was Jesus' ultimate aim and his climactic moment of impact, his salvation-securing death for you. And it should therefore be the aim of all our impact as well. That's the third qualifier, for the love and glory of his name. So the three front qualifiers, in view of God's abundant mercy toward us in Christ and our future inheritance. In view of that, by faith in God's power, for the love and glory of his name. Now here's the rest of the definition. We aim, comes to our action now, we aim in all things, often at great personal cost, to joyfully strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good. Now let's go back and look closely again at chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. 
The author says, But recall the former days when, after you enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. In their pursuit of Christ-exalting impact in the world, they endured great sufferings, public reproach and affliction, indeed the loss of their own possessions, with joy. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. And such will be our experience as well if we pursue this same kind of gospel impact. Need to be clear about this. When we pursue impact in the world, there are no rose-colored glasses here. No simple ease or path of least resistance. Jesus himself has prepared us for this. In the world, you will have tribulation. But, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember that amazing list of accomplishments we just read a moment ago from chapter 11, that big list? Let's go back there and pick it up in verse 35 and watch what happens as we finish. No break in thought whatsoever. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. What a jarring juxtaposition of life experience for those Christians. On the one hand, their faith in the power of God and the pursuit of impact helped them escape the sword. On the other hand, by that same faith, pursuing that same impact, some were killed with the sword. The point is this, pursuing this kind of gospel impact will cost you. It will cost us something. If not in active persecution, then certainly in public scorn. You will be called haters, traditionalists, on the wrong side of history. It will cost you your reputation in the community. Even when, precisely when, the slander against you is false. It will certainly cost us time and likely money as well. Are you willing to pursue it anyways? Are you willing 
to pursue it. We aim in all things to joyfully strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good, often at great personal cost. Especially their eternal good. Why do I emphasize that as part of the definition? Well, because according to the author of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if your sins are not forgiven and the wrath of God remains over you. The day is drawing near when Jesus will return. Yes, for the salvation and vindication of his people. Oh yes, we long for that day. But it will also be a day of judgment for all those who do not embrace him, who do not trust him. Turn back a page and look with me at chapter 9, verse 26 and following. But as it is, he, that is Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, and then he goes on to finish what it will be for God's people. But the point here first is that after death comes judgment. Judgment is coming. And therefore, with respect to pursuing all the Christ-exalting, earthly, temporal good that we can and we must, we must never forget in and through all of that love and those good works, we must never forget to give people the gospel, to call them to repentance in the heartfelt embrace of Christ, the one who has provided them the greatest good to meet their greatest need, namely eternal salvation. And hear me carefully, this is not bait and switch. We really do care for people. We really do desire to do all the earthly and temporal good that we possibly can, God helping us. We just simply do it explicitly in the name of Jesus. In short, We strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good, because if we didn't, we would simply be making their present life more comfortable on the path to eternal misery. And that is not love. That is not love. And so if you're here this morning, or you're viewing online, and you don't know Christ, and you've heard me talking about all this impact, and you've heard me talk about the judgment of God that's coming, I just invite you now, come to Jesus. Receive him. Let him bear the wrath of God for your sin in your place. Come to him this morning. And if you have questions, further questions, please come talk to me afterwards. So that's the definition. What do we mean at College Church by impact the world? We mean the long definition. In view of God's abundant mercy toward us in Christ and our promised inheritance, by faith in the power of God, for the love and glory of his name, we aim in all things, come what may to us, we aim to joyfully strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good. 
That's what we mean. We mean gospel impact. So that was the clarification of impact, the definition. Now I want to very practically call us to it in the confidence that all such efforts are not in vain. They are not meaningless. Because of the truthfulness and the reality of Jesus' resurrection, we are to be steadfast, immovable, Paul says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not overlooked. It is not disregarded. It is not unseen by the Lord, regardless of what happens to us now. The Lord sees. Great, you say. Sounds wonderful. But where do I start? How can I get involved? Well, as has been mentioned in the last couple of weeks, we have a new website that is organized around our vision, Discover, Grow, Impact. And if you go to the website, you can simply, with your cursor, hover over the word impact. It's at the top right of your screen. And you can see a whole list of ways to get involved. Now, I don't have time to mention all of them because there are a lot, but I do want to highlight the overall structure for you and point out a few things. When it comes to gospel impact, we have two main categories that we're thinking in. Serve and send. Serve and send. There are countless ways to make an impact by serving in the church. Giving of your resources. Giving of your time for various ministries. Kids Harbor, Stars, Helping Hands, Music, Helping Out Our Missionaries, and much more. There are also countless ways to make an impact by serving your neighbor. Here at College Church, we partner with a variety of what we call culture impact ministries. STARS, Family Services, Naomi's House, World Relief, DuPage Pads, Caring Network, Safe Families for Children, and more. Through College Church, you can learn more about our involvement in issues such as the sanctity of human life, foster care and adoption, and care for refugees, immigrants, and for those coming out of poverty or human trafficking. It's all there on the website with the people that you need to connect with if God's moving you. And of course, missions. Missions is a huge part of our gospel impact. There are countless ways to make an impact by serving in missions, from going on short-term trips to connecting with refugees and immigrants right here in our own community to becoming a full-time vocational missionary and more. All ways that you can serve and have a gospel impact. Well, what about send? That was serve. What about send? Well, given how the Lord has worked here at College Church over the last 150 years, we are a resourcing church. That is, we train pastors who then go all over the world and serve. We support and send vocational missionaries, global and local. We partner with international seminaries to train indigenous pastors. We plant churches and more. We're a resourcing church. Lots of ways to get connected there as well. In all of our serving and sending ministries, the gospel remains central, both as our motivation and as our hope. All of that to say, serving and sending, 
there are lots of ways to have a gospel impact here at College Church and through College Church to the world. Would you, as we approach the fall, would you pray and ask the Lord what kind of impact He might be stirring in your heart to pursue this year? Now, some of you might be thinking, that all sounds great, but I'm just simply not able to do many of those things. How can I have an impact? Maybe your health prevents you from getting out and about and interacting with people. Maybe you are homebound. How, how can I have an impact? Or some of you might be saying, I'm not gifted enough. I can't possibly have that kind of impact. Or maybe some of you are saying, I'm too young. Making an impact is for when I'm older. I'm, I'm just a kid. I can't do much. Well, let me encourage you, all of you. According to Paul, God uses the weak. The weak. According to Luke, some of Jesus' own disciples were common, uneducated men. And what an impact they had. If you think, and children, for all of you children in the room, children at home watching, if you think that you are too small to have an impact, try going to bed with a mosquito. See, the issue is not how big you are. The issue is not how old you are. The issue is not how educated you are, how talented you are, how gifted you are. Remember, God uses the weak things in the world. What matters is, do you have a desire to have this kind of impact in the world? If you do, God will use you. Some of you in this room have kids. Endless opportunities for gospel impact in the home. Do you have neighbors? Endless opportunities for gospel impact in your neighborhood. Are you in school? Endless opportunities for gospel impact with your friends and teachers or professors. Do you have a job with coworkers and a boss? Endless opportunities for gospel impact. Are you single? Endless opportunities to devote your life to gospel impact. Are you in an assisted living facility? Endless opportunities for gospel impact with those who are caring for you. Every single one of those situations and more are opportunities for love and good works, to strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good. They are opportunities for gospel impact. But perhaps it's best to end with one of the most powerful ways to have a gospel impact in the world. Something each and every one of you in this room no matter what season of life you're in, no matter how limited you may feel, you can pray. Pray. Never underestimate the power of prayer in the pursuit of Christ-exalting impact in the world. I'll close with two illustrations on this. Here at the church, we have a task force group for the sanctity of human life. They regularly meet just outside of 
Planned Parenthood in Aurora to pray for unborn babies, their parents, the abortion industry workers. Regularly, they pray right outside. Sarah Linguist recently shared with me a story about a father who recently returned to that Aurora prayer site to share that his daughter was scheduled to have an abortion. But as she was in the parking lot, she saw Christians praying across the street, and she decided to keep her baby instead. Prayer. Literally life-changing impact. Soon to be an earthly death turned into an earthly life. Prayer. Final story. This time, looking at coming from spiritual death to spiritual life. A mother once said, there was only one reason and one reason alone why I wished to remain a little longer in this life, and it was to see you, she said to her son, to see you become a Christian. Her son described his mother's relentless prayer for him as a river of tears that day by day bedewed the ground wherever she prayed for me. Through her perseverance in prayer, God sovereignly saved her son. And later, reflecting back on that moment, he said, I can find no words to express how intensely she loved me. With far more anxious solicitude did she give birth to me in the spirit than ever she had in the flesh. Her name was Monica. Her son, Augustine, or as the church would later call him, St. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church. Oh, the power of prayer. So in view of God's abundant mercy toward us in Christ and our promised future inheritance, by faith in the power of God for the love and glory of his name, let us, College Church, aim in all things, come what may to us, let us aim in all things to joyfully strive for the good of all people, especially their eternal good. May we pursue gospel impact. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, that is our prayer, that you would so work in us and through us that the world would see you, that non-believers would turn to you and find the joy of salvation. God, continue to awaken in us desires for impact and reveal to us how we in our individual lives and together as a church can pursue this kind of Christ-exalting impact in the world. And we ask it in the precious name of Christ. Amen.